Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the People Processes Podcast, where we dive deep into the tools, laws, and yes, processes that you need to know in order to scale and grow your organization. We've helped companies all across the United States streamline, optimize, implement, and revolutionize their HR operations. And we've helped hundreds of companies, thousands of HR leaders across the world get their people processes right. Today, we're going to be taking a deep dive into five wage and hour lawsuits that we're seeing from actions employers took related to COVID-19. Uh, we just want to go through these, hit the highlights, see if there's a place you can fix this now uh, before people start contacting lawyers. Before we go too deep, I want to ask you, please subscribe to our podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much any podcatcher of your choice. You can also subscribe at peopleprocesses.com, which will give you exclusive subscriber-only content. I look forward to seeing you there. Now, let's dive in. Employers are forced to make tough decisions, often at really fast speeds uh, as they operate during the pandemic and resulting economic you know, shutdown that we've had. By making tough decisions without consulting legal counsel, um, well, people can get involved in very expensive lawsuits. Uh, specifically, wage and hour suits, particularly class actions, are the most common and expensive for employers. There was a great webinar by Safarth Shaw LLP uh, called Litigation Trends in the Post-COVID-19 World. Lynn A. Kappelman is a partner with the firm in their Boston office. She discussed these wage and hour issues that arise as employers look to control payroll costs while maintaining operations, and also as they look ahead to reopening as the crisis ends. Kappelman followed up with uh, Labor and Employment Law Daily about common wage and hour traps that can befall employers during this unprecedented crisis, and I'm stealing a lot of info from her. Not really stealing, but she had a great webinar, so I'm trying to make sure we plug her, but man, uh, some good stuff. So uh, Kappelman just basically put out there over and over that plaintiff's attorneys are already focused on these issues. They're already publishing on their website FAQs, guidelines for potential plaintiffs, marketing for, for potential claim, uh, uh, plaintiffs who may have experienced any of these uh, traps. So it's out there. And we'll talk about which states are most at risk, but it's the ones you think about uh, when you think about this stuff. So <laughs> we'll go over those at the end. But basically, this is uh, it's up and running, and they are looking. So, all right, the most common wage hour risk, this is number one, is going to be ex uh, respect to exempt employees is losing that exempt classification. This can have a long-term consequence uh, for your liability, including having to pay overtime going forward pretty much forever to these formerly exempt salaried employees. Many companies have reduced employees' pay across the board to spread the pain of a forced belt tightening. Cool. An employer that imposes a salary cut, though, must be careful not to reduce exempt employees' pay below the minimum salary level. Now, the federal FLSA salary threshold is $35,568 per year, but many, many states have a higher floor. you got to check that. So if you've cut your salaries across the board and you've cut below that uh, exempt level, you are now a non-exempt, you now have non-exempt employees. You got to track their hours, make sure you're paying overtime, make sure you're paying uh, minimum wage, obviously. 
most employers, maybe they've imposed a 20% pay cut. Um, a lot of them want to also reduce work hours. So maybe you've said, all right, we're going to take Fridays off Monday through Friday. We're going to cut everybody's pay 20%. However, to do so for exempt employees really runs afoul of the FLSA's salary basis test. It's okay to reduce someone's pay by 20%, but you can't reduce their duties by a commensurate level because you'll undermine the salary basis and lose the exemption, explained Kappelman. So here's what's come up the most. Uh, you furlough an exempt employee. Uh, so so that's that's I think one primary issue is you, you don't want to cut. You got we got to think about the salary level, but you also got to think about the duties test. A kind of flip on that, and this is probably the most common issue I see at our level, not like giant you know one hundred thousand man companies. At the smaller level, what we see a lot is furloughing an exempt employee. So when you actually let somebody go uh, or temporarily let them go, even if an employee works one hour during that week, they must get paid for the entire week. That's a key thing to understand. Exempt people are paid by the week. Furloughing exempt employees for anything less than a full week carries a huge risk of violating that salary basis test. So if an employer furloughs an exempt employee on a Wednesday, it must pay for the full week or the employee will lose her exempt status. You may very well see a class action for all those hours you didn't pay folks during their work week, said Kappelman. So the other kind of, uh, you know, another piece of that, which is quite common I'm seeing, is you furlough an exempt employee, but you're still constantly reaching out to them, or heck, even doing it once a week, you know, asking to respond to emails. Uh, you know, Jack, can you tell me where we kept those files? Uh, what's our usual practice of doing this thing? In effect, Jack is on furlough, but if he's answering emails, then he's actually working. And therefore, again, even one hour, they are entitled to pay for the entire week, even if they only, you know, answered an hour's worth of emails and calls and that kind of stuff. That may not be a lot of money for one person, but if that's happening with a bunch of company employees, these class actions can add up quickly. So um, part of that, those are the, those are the primary issues around exempt. The, the third tertiary, the third error, error that we're seeing around exempt uh, is happening primarily at uh, retail and service establishments. It's called duties dilution. Um, if you've been forced to furlough part of their workforce, and then you're asking your managerial staff to take on the additional tasks, uh, let me give you an example. Let's say that you have a retail establishment and your managers are now stacking shelves, working the register, sanitizing the workplace. You have to be really careful. If an exempt employee performs more non-exempt work than management work, more than half, that there's a danger that that employee's primary duty is no longer managerial, and that would remove exempt status. They're an hourly worker. So you got to keep a close eye on that. Okay, so that's, I only called that issue one. It's all around losing the exempt status. Uh, so losing exempt status, let's recap it. You underpay, you go under that salary floor. You reduce someone's hours by 20%, and then because of that, you're saying that they have hours, right? And that's going to run afoul of the salary basis test as well. Or you furlough partially through a week, and you don't pay for that whole week. Or you furlough and then have the employee work an hour while they're on furlough, you can't do that. That will that will also invalidate the week. So those are the, the 
key pieces around your exempt employees. Okay. Now for non-exempt employees, this is what we call, uh, you know, there's a lot of different things that could be a problem here, but I think one of the key ones is off the clock claims. Let me go back to Ms. Kappelman. The largest issue for non-exempt employees is that it will take them longer to prepare to work, cleaning and sanitizing the workspace, getting temperature scanned and donning PPE. Employers may make the mistake of not paying for that time, she said. But employers, employees generally must be paid for that time it, it takes to don and doff protective gear or work clothes. And again, unrecorded time for one person isn't too costly, but unrecorded time for 100 or 1,000 can be quite a costly class action lawsuit. So uh, just a recap there. Time to prepare the workplace, cleaning it, cleaning them, donning protective equipment must be paid to your hourly workers. If uh, you're going to have employees line up and you're going to do temperature checks before you open, uh, it may take only two minutes, but if they had to stand in line and wait, uh, you need to compensate them for that time. They may need to spend more time sanitizing their workplace, putting on face masks, cleaning the face masks. It's compensable. You must also pay non-exempt employees for the time spent getting up to speed with post-COVID changes in the workplace. You're going to wind up having uh, training a lot of times on this. You're going to talk. You're going to have a staff meeting when they come back. That's paid time. They need to if they need to learn new software, new equipment. That's all compensable. So that's going to be your primary issues for your non-exempt people. A little less uh, burdensome than the exempt, but. Um, a lot of companies will run afoul of that. Okay, now let's talk about uh, what's called state law requirements. So this is this is the third thing that we're seeing uh, a good bit here. There are a lot of state-specific uh, problems. The most common is meal and rest breaks. Most states, like California, have these. Uh, are going to have meal and rest breaks, you know, impacted by the need for social distance. Imagine you have an employee and she says she can't take her break because she doesn't want to go into the break room and be, you know, sitting around a bunch of other people. She wants to remain socially distanced. Or uh, maybe she says you didn't provide a place that was safe for me to eat lunch. So I'm eating my lunch at my desk, but I keep getting interrupted because people think I'm on the clock. You have to provide uninterruptible meal breaks, uninterrupted meal breaks uh, in most in many states. So if you're in California, for example, you need the employee to attest that their break was uninterrupted, that kind of thing. So um, that's going to be a, a, a big, bigger problem, right? So if you have uh, meal and rest period requirements in your state and uninterrupted ones in particular, you need to take a close look at how you're going to comply with those, even though uh, they're going to be heading out. Another thing, another state-specific thing, is that there are new laws governing expense reimbursement. Well, new and old. But if your state focuses on expense reimbursement, that would require an employer to reimburse anything purchased by employees that are attendant to remote work, cell phone, computer monitors, printers. For on-site employees, the cost of employee-supplied PPE would also have to be reimbursed, almost definitely. Failure to pay these previously... Uh, you know, unanticipated expenses will invite lawsuits. So if you're sending people to work from home and they need stuff to work from home, most states, not all states, but this is going to check your laws, require that if you have employees work from home, you have to provide the equipment. So check that out. You may need to reimburse. Okay. Uh, the final kind of 
state level one is many states have laws governing governing when commission agreements can be changed. So you need to take a look at your commission plan and make sure that you didn't unilaterally make a change without enough notice under those state laws. So say uh, you used to have, uh, you know, used to pay people when an order came in and then, you know, uh, under this COVID thing, like 60, 70, 80, 90% of your orders are canceling. So you decide to tell your commission employees, look, we're still going to pay commissions, but it's going to be when they pay, right? Rather than upfronting you the money. That's a totally cool idea, except some states say you got to give 60 days notice in writing before changing a commission plan. So if you just rapidly change that plan, you could get super screwed. So keep an eye on your commission plan, review it, and comply with it, Kappelman cautioned. Those are the key things that are state level. Again, it's not going to apply to everybody, but you need to research your own state. That's going to be meals and breaks, expense reimbursement, and commission policies. All right. Uh, Next up is wage non-payment. This is really straightforward, but I just want to throw it out there because people are messing it up. (laughs) Don't not pay your people. If you decide you're not going to pay somebody going forward, you can do that in terms of you're fired today whatever today's date is. But that doesn't mean you can't give them their next paycheck, right? It's all about the pay period. What days are you compensating for? This is an obvious violation, and there is little opportunity to avoid liability. And there are many states that have, um, I mean, like treble damages on this stuff, especially if it's willful, uh, which a lot of these would be. It would be hard not to say you didn't know. So um, highly recommend just, just make sure if you you're in a cash flow situation, I understand there's a lot of problems, but you got to pay your people what you already promised to pay them. Very important. <clears throat> All right. Uh, the final one is what we call class action risks. Um, COVID-19 and the adjustments that employers have made in response to the pandemic are rife with opportunity for the plaintiff's bar, uh, eager to bring class claims. Those are faster, they're easier to pursue, and result in quick settlements. Every industry is at risk, Kappelman said. Even law firms can run afoul of the exempt salary basis and duties dilation issues, and non-exempt workers in every industry will need to deal with time recording issues involved with necessary changes to meal breaks, rest breaks, and donning and doffing PPE. I expect to see retail and hospitality hit the hardest since their workforce is so public-facing and visible Kappelman said, and the return to work issues will be very similar for these groups uh, of employees, which will put employers at greater risk of class-wide liability. So another place that she's uh, expecting problems is independent contractor misclassification class actions. Many COVID-related state and federal government orders uh, were group independent, uh, group grouped independent contractors and employees in the same world in terms of benefits, unemployment, notices, leave payments, all that. Many employers followed suit. They said, all right, independent contractors are like employees. They get we're going to keep paying them even though they're not supposed, they're not doing any work, or we're going to provide them FFCRA leave, even though you're not supposed to do that. Or, you know, we gave them, we're going to put them on the benefits because we they need insurance. If you did that, that's going to be a problem because there's a there's a case to be made there that you've um one of the tests is what's called commonality. If you treat your independent contractors the same as employees, 
you're likely to uh, require that they all become employees, right? So that's called Rule 23 certification. So since everyone was affected the same time by many of the same issues surrounding COVID and many employers issued company-wide policies to address the virus to both employees and independent contractors, it could be an issue there. Now, I haven't seen any of those suits pop up. Um, Kaplan was highly concerned about them. Uh, There may be some good defense, you know, arguments that come out of that. Um, but that's the other thing we're kind of keeping an eye on are these independent contractor reclassifications. So let me, let me recap for you. Losing your exempt status for falling under the salary threshold, uh, uh, changing, uh, running a foul of the salary basis test, i.e. the duties, uh, assessment, um, furloughing employee an exempt employee mid week or working them even a little bit when they're on furlough requires full week payment for your exempt non-exempt employees you got to make sure you're not screwing up their timekeeping you got to pay them for donning and doffing time cleaning time training time um, so that's a, a big change you got to think about depending on your state expense reimbursement you got to think about uh, meal and rest requirements, and you got to think about commission plan changes, and then pay your employees what you promised them. Do not, you can always make changes, but don't make them retroactively. And then just keep a close eye, especially if you're in those uh, resp- restaurant and hospitality areas, because those are going to be the most likely to get hit by broad class action suits. The uh, wage and hour class actions are primarily going to be in my states. I would, I would think that you're going to see them in California, Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, because those are easy to bring on a personal basis. It's not like the state has to act. They can just be sued by anybody for those um, things. Like in Tennessee, for example, it would have to be the Tennessee Department of Labor that actually enforces action. But in California, anybody can do it. And there are tons of attorneys trolling for it right now. So uh, they also allow for very lucrative penalties. So you think about in, in, in a lot of these states, it's like you you owed that guy ten thousand. Well, you're going to owe sixteen thousand, and six of it's going to go to the attorney now. So there's a lot of pieces uh, to that. So those states, you just got to look very closely about how you're going to handle these. I hope this was helpful to you. I know it was a lot of information on our website at People Processes. We have a great layout of this. We do a transcript of the recording. Uh, We have downloadables that can help you do checklists against this stuff. If you need anything, please let us know. We're happy to help. I hope uh, that you guys are all doing well, staying safe, doing the best you can to keep your businesses up and running and getting prepped for the return. I can't wait until we're all back to to rocking away and growing our companies and we talk about scaling and growth that way. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Rami Alijil. I'm the CEO of People Processes. Now it is time for you to go out there, get your work done, and have a great day.